Hey, legends, you know, none of our interviews or episodes ever date, ever. They are all timeless and ready for you for when you're ready to listen. Download the lot and rip in. Welcome back to Andy Raymond Unfiltered, Laurie Daly, Champion, Gentleman, Part 2. In Part 1, we spoke debuts for the Canberra Raiders and New South Wales Blues and the magical 1989 Grand Final. The story continues. Premiership in 89, again in 90, this time against Penrith, but then the clouds gathered. The club was caught in a salary cap scandal and from memory it was the first story like this that we'd really seen at such magnitude. As a player, as a young player, easy or difficult to ignore and cope with? Um, oh, it was. I think it was difficult at the time, but I don't think it would have been as bad as what it would be now. You know, with all platforms of media and social media. Yeah. Um, you know, we obviously got found that they were um, paying players um, above uh, salary cap, and we got. Um, all contracts were null and void, so the Raiders had to then come back underneath uh, 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 a cap, um, and they had to release a lot of players. Mm. And we we struggled in, in '92, so we made '89, '90, '91 grand final. Uh, we won '90, '90, and we lost '91. Um, but then in uh, nine, at the end of '91, uh, because we had to release a lot of players, you know, the likes of Brent Todd. Um, the likes of Glenn Lazarus, yep. the likes of um, Wayne Collins, uh, David Barnhill, Nigel Gaffies, all these guys that were very good players and played first grade, they had to leave. Mm. And the club had made a decision that they were going to sign uh, a, couple of, a couple of players and then try and build the club around that. Um, and that was probably the only time in my career I thought, oh, shit, you know, this might be um, – we might have uh, enough money here. A couple of us might have to move on um, yeah. because the players have to work to the salary cap and, um, you know, they might not have enough to, to, to pay around what they think they're worth. Um, so with everyone being off contract, then you're allowed to go and talk to other clubs. So, again, I was speaking to the Dragons and the, and, um, the Magpies at the time um, and, and probably that was the closest... I came to uh, leaving Canberra, um, you know, after speaking to the Dragons and, and, and Wes. Um, I certainly considered both their offers. Um, but in the end, that emotional attachment to the club that I had um, was too strong a bond with some of the players that were there and we wanted to continue to, to try and build success. And um, we were able to come out the other side of it um, and then go on and, and be successful after that. But it did take 12 months. We can't leave the early 90s alone without talking about the 1990 Kangaroo Tour, an old-school, long kangaroo tour. And for the boy from Junee, the first real long trip overseas, I remember a few of the boys saying 52% footy, 48% fun. Is that about yeah. the right split? Uh, might have been the other way around. Uh, <laughs> Oh, look, it was one of the best things I've ever done to go away on a kangaroo tour. I can remember four years earlier, I'd get up in the middle of the night in GE yep. and watch kangaroo games and just sit there and idolising and go, wow, how good would it be to play over there in front of crowds like that? 
Um, and, and honestly, I had to pinch myself when I first landed in um, Heathrow because I'm just thinking of it, my Australian blazer on. Um, you know, I'm here representing Australia and how good is it? Uh, and I was 20 when I first landed in, in England. And then, um, yeah, we had such a, a, a great team. You know, we had a great coach in Bozart. Um, and, well, yeah, when you tour, you bond with each other. Yeah. And, you know, it was, we'd train every day, but we'd also have a good time. And f- for me, it was outstanding, uh, the trip. I actually broke my hand the week before my 21st. No, I, I broke my hand the week before the opening test match. Yep. At Wembley. That was in a fight, um, wasn't it? Yeah, got into a fight with a guy by the name of Phil Ford. So basically we're playing leads and, and two blokes um, attacked him and they were throwing punches and I'm more of a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> and, um, I went in and, and, and hit Phil Ford and broke my hand straight away and then I had to start throwing them with my left and I wasn't very good at doing that. Um, but that was my 21st. That was the day I turned 21. Wow. So broke my hand. I'll always remember when I turned 21. It was the day I broke my hand. Um, and then... We had a party actually organised back at the um, the hotel we were, we were staying at, the Ramada Hotel in, in Manchester. Um, and I remember going back, and my hand was busted, and we had Johnny Lewis on the on the trip. And I sort of didn't feel like sort of celebrating sort of too much. So I had a few beers, but I was sort of more sort of shocked that you know I'd be missing out on that that first Test match. But um, it was it was amazing because myself. Um, and Mickey Hancock were around the same day yeah. uh, so we were both turned 21 uh, Cliffy Lyons uh, was around that time or, and the Walters boys turned 20 uh, they were th- their birthdays on the 20th of uh, October as well so I think Cliffy was either the 19th or 20th wow. and Mick Hancock was around the same so there's five of us within a day of each other and it was all our birthdays so we had a, a big party back at the uh, the Ramada Hotel uh, in Manchester, but um, yeah, unfortunately, I broke my hand that day and, and missed out on the first test at Wembley. Who was your roomie on that tour, and what did you learn, good or bad, from them? Uh, my roomie was Ricky Stewart, oh, and yeah. what I learned was um, I was uh, I was a lot cleaner than Ricky. Um, <laughs> He just threw everything uh, around the room. Um, but, no, we, we had a, a great time. And obviously being mates and, and being, you know, club um, uh, teammates was, was very good because, you know, you knew one another and, um, you know, you could spend a bit of time with each other, but you didn't hang out uh, out of each other's pockets because yep. you were you know, with different groups all the time. Um, so it was it was really good. It was a fun tour. And we're able to enjoy each other's company. And after losing that first test under pressure, uh, we ended up winning the second and third test and winning the Ashes. Well, fast forward to 1994, you'd win another premiership. It was your third. Do you remember this? Ferner it is now. Gets the pass away. It's a daily that capitalises. Runs through the gap. Over the 30. Support is coming. Daly, he won't need it. Daly, he scores. Daly puts it down. Yeah, I can remember it. Um, I can remember it like it was yesterday. Um, uh, Fernsey sort of running to the line and then popping it back and um, just seeing some space and, and going for it. And 
I remember when I got into the clear, I thought, because I always had hamstring troubles and I never ever actually felt confident after I had those hamstrings to actually go flat out. Even though I might have looked like I was going, I always reckon I held something in reserve and um, my hemi, my left hemi was the one that I had a lot of issues with. And I remember when I was running and I thought, I'm going to step him here. I'm going to step him back on the inside. And then I thought, oh, no, I won't. Something just took over me and I just sort of tried to run around him and, and get to the corner. Um, but I remember Scotty Wilson coming across and, and trying to tackle me and then sort of bouncing over and, and scoring. But uh, it's always special if you score a try in a big game. Um, and, you know, when you score from, you know, 50 metres, it's, 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 it's great as well. But at the end of the day, you know, I think anyone would tell you, no matter what you do in a game, um, in, as an individual, it's, it's, it's the result is all about, is what you care about, sorry. Mm. And if you don't get the win, it doesn't matter whether you score three tries, it doesn't matter whether you've come up with 70 tackles, um, you're, you're gutted, you're disappointed. You know, you can get man of the match in a losing side, uh, but it just doesn't feel great. Um, you want to share that success with everyone. Yep. Um, and, and that's how I felt. It, it's like, you know, that 89 grand final. I didn't have my best game in 89, but it's probably the greatest moment I've ever had as a club, in, in a club team. With our first grand final, it was just, I, I don't think I could ever replicate the euphoria that I had after that game. All our grand final wins were different. 990 was a relief. Uh, 89 was just pure, exhilarated, just how great is this? This is the best thing since sliced bread. And even 94 was was different as well. It just felt like, you know, it felt like we, we, we would have had a bad year if we didn't win. That's what it felt like, 94. So it was more relief. Mal Meninga would retire, then Super League would hit. Do you recall the first time you heard about this rival competition? Uh, I did, but I never sort of took it too seriously because the first time I'd mentioned uh, someone mentioned it was on the '94 Kangaroo Tour, mm. and it was like, oh, this competition uh, could start. And everyone was like, oh yeah, but you know, a bit of a pie in the sky idea. Yep. Um, and then sort of never heard anything about it. And then we got to the stage where it might have been just before the competition started. It started to pick up momentum. Yeah. And then we had some talks, um, I reckon, uh, about it and as a group. And one thing we did say was if anything happens, then we'd all like to stay together. So regardless of what happens as a club, regardless of what happens as a playing group, we wanted to to stay together. Um, And then I remember uh, getting a phone call. We might have had a meeting. I think we had a meeting, actually. Um, and we were heading up to play the Cowboys, who were just new in the competition. And they said, when we get to Townsville, um, uh, we've got a meeting with News Limited representatives uh, at the casino. And they want to talk to you about this new competition that we've been discussing, which is Super League. Um, and they'd like to get your thoughts on it. Um, and we all go, yeah, no worries. This is, this sounds pretty exciting. Uh, and that's sort of how it all sort of unfolded and that's where it sort of happened because we go to this meeting and then 
you know, they were telling us about what they were doing. They were telling us about the type of money that we would earn. Um, and all of a sudden, that just blew everyone's uh, yeah. minds away. What, what was happening? All of a sudden, you were going from X amount to, to, to you know, a, a huge amount of money that we'd never seen or dreamt of before. Um, and, and that started, you know, everything, everything rolling along, the ball starting to, to, to get going because, um, you know, it was, it was a stage where they were saying that, you know, they had a number of clubs that were prepared to sign and once one did it, then the others were going to follow. So it sort of happened pretty, pretty quickly, to be honest with you. Griffin Air Conditioning offers the highest quality of air conditioning sales and service across the Sydney metropolitan area, providing installation and maintenance to commercial, domestic and industrial customers. Working with this team, you'll be guaranteed the latest services, technology and developments in the industry. Visit griffinair.com.au and tell them we sent you for a cool deal. More money for everyone. Fucking beauty. Right concept, right theory, poor execution. That's my look at it. Would you agree with that? I think if you had your time over again, I think you'd certainly look at doing uh, things differently. Um, but at the time, you know, in retrospect, you, you can't take anything back. Uh, it yeah. certainly caused uh, some damage to the game and it caused... Um, a lot of people to be disillusioned um, with rugby league, and uh, you know, that, and that was that was a shame. Uh, from a player's point of view, and again, this is well, this is, I can only speak for myself. Um, I thought that it would come back together. I thought eventually they would come back together, and there wouldn't be this split. Um, at the time, it was for us. Um, we just saw the dollar signs and we saw that everyone was sticking together and we saw the Raiders were going to be part of this competition. And I've always said, uh, until you walk in someone else's shoes, it's, it's hard to judge uh, what you would do. And it's like, you know, you being um, a, a barman in one pub and you're working and you're getting 20 grand a year and then someone says to you, well, mate, you come and work at my pub and I'll give you $300,000 a year yep. to do the same. Um, and it's and while people can sit back and say, oh, well, you know, you should have considered X, Y, and Z. As a young young bloke, I, I didn't really consider anything like that. I was just looking at sort of what my mates, well, first of all, I was looking at what the dollar was, yep. well, you know, how much was I going to earn, yep. what my club was doing, what my teammates were going to do as well. Um, and as you, you know, get a bit more mature, you sit back and you realise that you know, it's probably not the right way to look at it. Um, you should have thought about it a, a bit more, but but at the time, that's that's how it unfolded. Financial is fact. It is the number one priority, yet still in 2020 we have players saying, I want to move cities to be closer to my family or I want to do this or I want to go to a new club for a challenge. It's about bucks and I get it, as it should be, because you're... you're career span is limited mate after your retirement you went into coaching we'll go back into the mid 90s Mal Meninga returned to the Canberra Raiders as coach how did you find it your mate was now the boss Mm. yeah it was it was different um but it was also 
because Tim Sheens had left to go to the Cowboys yep. after Super Bowl. Um, so the Raiders really needed some stability. And I think Mal wanted to try his hand as a coach. Yep. Um, and he, he did that. And, and we made uh, the semis a, n- a number of times. At the start, I've got to say, when you go from playing to coaching, it, it is hard when you've played with yeah. uh, players. Uh, but after a while, but Mal was always that that guy that you saw as a coach anyway, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so while he was a player and then came on three years later as the coach, it always, yeah, to, to me it always felt strange to start with, but then it was like, yep, no worries. It's like Mal just giving a, a speech at halftime as the captain. Mm. Um, some of the, the other boys, younger blokes, um, obviously – had never played with Mal and they just idolised him and hung off every word. Um, and then it was a challenge because um, Super League happened in 97 and then after Super League, the comps got back together and clubs that had, um, you know, a number of high-profile uh, and highly-paid players on their books, they had to come back to a salary cap and they were only given 12 months to do that. So they had to shed players. A lot of players had signed five and seven year deals on big money, um, but you couldn't, you could not keep all those players. So the game got together and said, well, we'll allow it to happen for one year. Yep. But after that one year, if you haven't got your house in order, bad luck. Um, so there was a lot of maneuvering and there was a lot of um, players getting moved on that were on big money. It would have loved to have stayed, and Ricky and Clyde would have loved to have stayed at the Raiders. But the fact that everyone had to come in under the salary cap, some big decisions had to be had to be made. So, um, but but Mal, um, I enjoyed uh, his coaching. I, I think if you asked him, he enjoyed it. But it's different being a coach, um, and to be straight out of the playing ranks into coaching, I think it's I think it's hard. Um, but you look at what he's done now with that Queensland side has been absolutely brilliant um, but he was certainly a guy that commanded everyone's respect and we enjoyed playing for him and under him um, and um, you know he was just a, a tremendous leader both both on and off the field You mentioned Ricky Stewart and Bradley Clyde moving to the Bulldogs it was probably the second time you had experienced it after 92 where a bunch of guys had left. How was it playing against these two guys that were mates, that were teammates basically for a decade that you shared so many great memories with? Oh, it's strange. Very weird. Um, I remember there would have been a time where um, I, I, I can't remember the player, but whoever it was had changed clubs. And we're talking about coming up against the Bulldogs and I was talking about how it would be weird playing against Ricky and then playing against Clyde. One of the guys came to me and goes, oh, mate, the only tip I can give you is don't make eye contact with Ricky Stewart. I said, what? <laughs> and he said, mate, if you come to a scrum, just don't make contact with him. I said, why? And he said, mate, he'll just give you a mouthful. <laughs> so, um, but it was funny because it, it did. It just felt really weird. And I think, you know, they were sort of up to play against Canberra and we were up to, to play against them uh, but it was it was just quite weird I remember try, uh, tackling Bradley and having a bit of a, a, a push and a shove 
Um, and at the time, because you're so invested in the game, you're not realising who it was. Yeah. After it, you're sort of going, oh, sorry, mate. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'll apologise for that one. Did you cop any special treatment from your angry ex-halfback and good mate, Ricky? No, he was very good. And I'll tell you what, in the back of my mind, I knew not to look at him too, out of the scrum. Yeah. <laughs> you were great mates with Ricky and had played almost all your footy together as six and seven. Mal took the captaincy off Rick when he was still at the club and gave it to you. I've interviewed both these guys and they've had their say. All of a sudden, you're the man in the middle, the innocent bystander who was the new captain because Ricky was pissed. So difficult and different times at training. Yeah, it was. But I think um, at the end of the day, um, I was a leader in my own right. Yes. Ricky uh, was the leader. Um, and I think that was the year, I think, I think Rick might have been sick. I think he was crook. Yeah. And and I think he didn't play a lot of footy uh, that year. And I think I took over and then when he came back, I think they decided that I was going to be the captain moving forward. And obviously, you know, it puts a bit of a, a strain on things because you're a mate and then your mate is the captain and he wants to be captain yeah. and then... You're there, you'd like to be captain. Yeah. And then, um, you, you know, all of a sudden you are the captain and, and you've got to sort of try and work it out and come together. So it was sort of like that, I suppose, when Mal retired uh, in 94. Um, you know, I'd captained Australia, I was captain of um, New South Wales in, in 92, 93, 94. And I thought, oh, this would be a good opportunity for me to become captain of the Raiders when Mal retired. Um, and I missed out. And, and uh, Ricky became captain. So, um, you know, I was dis- disappointed, um, obviously, then and had to move on. And I think that's what you do as a player. You, yeah. you get a little bit disappointed and, you know, you, you, you ask yourself, well, why wasn't I given the, the position? But I think then you sort of realise that it's all not so much about you. It's about whether you want to sort of sit, whinge and complain or whether you want to get on with playing footy and helping the, the club have success. So I think it's natural that you have that disappointment and I think it's natural that, that you start questioning yourself why, how, um, you know, all those type of things. But at the end of the day, you've just got to go, right, oh, bite the bullet. The decision's been made. I'm going to move on here. Uh, I want to play footy. Uh, I want to win with my teammates. I want to have success. And I think that's what we, we both did. If you're enjoying Andy Raymond Unfiltered, the Legend series, we'd love for you to go to Apple, Spotify or wherever you're listening and subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star rating and review. Best weekly review wins an unfiltered trucker's hat. The debate, which side is the best side of all time, is a beauty. I always go back to the Parramatta side, of the early 80s, but I've got them playing the Raiders' side of the early 90s. Did you guys realise just how good a football side this was at the time, or don't you think like that? Um, no. I, I, I'll tell you what you do think, Andy. I, I remember sitting in a dressing shed 
um, before any big game and looking around going, you know what, if he plays well, if he plays well, if he plays well, I play well, he plays well, um, we're going to be hard to beat. Yep. And and we should win. I always had that. Um, In terms of whether we thought we were the greatest team, no. As in the greatest of all time, no. Never, Never ever thought like that. But I just remember when you're playing in those good teams and the years we won the comps, not so much 89, but 90 and 94, you knew that if we play our best, we're going to win. There was no doubt in my mind that if we turned up and we put our best foot forward, we were going to win. And and uh, that wasn't being arrogant. That was just looking around. We'd have, you know, in 1990, we, we could have had, I don't know, five to seven players that were considered to be the best player in their position in the world, in in the one side. That's a pretty handy start. An awesome footy side. You spoke earlier, mate, about uh, your hamstring issues. The knees were also a little average by the mid to late 90s in particular. How bad did they get? How restricting or painful were they? Uh, Probably towards the end of my career, Andy. So... I sort of had a bad back, and then I did my hammies early. Uh, then I had meniscus taken out of my knee. Um, I had no meniscus, so just the wear and tear of my joint. And I used to sort of hobble uh, a lot when I was running, and, and, and it didn't feel sort of comfortable until I started to, to warm up. And then over you know a long period of time after all the pre-seasons, the sort of last three years of my career were, were not great. Um, um, uh, Playing-wise on the field was still good, but just trying to prepare for a game, training-wise, I felt a little bit uh, of a disconnect between the team and I because I was training indoors while they were training outdoors. Yeah. Um, so all my fitness work was done inside. And you just don't feel as part of it as what you do when you're out there all the time. And the reason... Um, that I was training indoors was to keep me off off my legs to make sure that I had longevity and make sure that I could play on the weekends and then continue to play. And and then sort of went through a stage where I had, because I had no meniscus and there was a lot of uh, rubbing away of of my bone, um, the doc would go in and drill it. So he'd drill my my bone to make it bleed and that had formed sort of a, a roughage over the surface and that would take a while to heal and then I'd be able to run again. <laughs> but then, you know, after the end of the season, that would be sort of worn away again. And then the doc goes, well, mate, if you, if you continue this, he said, you, you, you're going to have a, you know, arthritic knee, which I have anyway, but, you know, he said, you won't be able to walk. Um, so, you know, that, that's what I did to, to, to sort of get through the last sort of couple of years of, of my career. And you know what? I wouldn't have changed it. Yes, I've got arthritis. Yes, I need a knee reconstruction, not a knee reconstruction, a knee replacement. But, you know, to spend those extra couple of years playing uh, when I thought I may have had to retire, um, yeah, no, so be it. And it's it's one of the things that you, you put up with now, um, but I wouldn't have changed anything. A host of accolades, far too many to mention. I'd like your thoughts on a few, though. What the following means to Laurie Daly, the bloke. An oval in Junee being named Laurie Daly Oval. Uh, very humbling. Uh, when I left Junee, uh, I never thought that that would, would have been a possibility. I grew up there. I played football on that oval. I played cricket on that oval. Um, and to go back there and just to see it in my hometown, um, 
Yeah, I, I think I get emotional about it. I get yeah. very uh, proud and, and uh, it's something that my family uh, all enjoy. It's something that, you know, my grandkids, um, uh, their kids, it, it will always be there uh, for them and they'll always ask the question, you know, what relation were we to, yeah. to, to, to Laurie? So it's, it's going to be there into the future. So for me, that's pretty humbling and for a country boy that loves where I'm from. I love Juni. I love going back there. I've got plenty of friends there. My best mate's still there. Um, yeah, it's one of those things that I think I said before, when you play a team sport, play rugby league, you don't play for the individual awards. You, you play either, depending on what level, you know, you'll either play because you love your mates, you'll play because you love the game and you'll play because you want to win with the, the team you, you, you're in um, and have that success with each other. And, and that's why why I played. And to have these individual things, um, you know, like a name, uh, the, the oval named after me, um, yeah, it's just humbling. What about the statue at Canberra Stadium? That's another one, Andy. You know, you know, when I first retired and they said that they'd like to do that for me, I was just blown away because, you know, you, you hear about these things happening to other people, not yourself. Yep. And you never see yourself as being as good as, you know, some of the legends of, of the sport that have had statues um, uh, at their ground uh, put in for them. So I never thought that that would actually happen to me. And to have it again there and I go back to that stadium and I see it, not so much for me, but my kids and, um, you, know, yeah. my, you know, or... You know, family, you know, you might have your cousin's kids or something walk past and they go, oh, are we related to that guy or whatever it may be, you know. Yeah. I just think it's, yeah, it's something that I never thought would happen. Um, I'm really uh, grateful that, that they see fit to have something like that of me at the stadium um, and I just hope that, you know, people appreciate it and, they continue to remember who I was. <laughs> <laughs> what about being recognised as a national contributor and awarded the Member of Order of Australia? Yeah, again, uh, I'm very proud of that because you you want to leave you know great memories and and you want to leave sort of legacies behind. And I think that you know, one thing that you're, you're always proud of it's oh, I'm always proud of is being myself. Um, yep. You know, being, being a guy that's always. I think we started off off this um, conversation about being genuine, being yeah. humble, and being respectful. Um, you know, there are three things that I'd like to think I am. And um, you know, again, mate, I, I never played the game to, to receive awards. I played the game because I loved it, and I played the game because I wanted to, to win with my mates. Um, but yeah, it's always very humbling, mate, when, when people want to share um, accolades with you and talk about you in, in certain ways and, and, and manners because um, I just get blown away. Are there any regrets, significant regrets across the journey? Is there anything you change? Oh, I don't think there's anything I'd change. I, I was quite lucky through my football career and, and this is where I'll probably differ from um, a lot of ex-players. I was lucky enough to to make the choice on, on when I decided to retire. Yeah. And when I mean lucky, my body was giving out on me. So I knew it was time and I knew I had 14 wonderful careers. Um, I reckon if I had have 
you know, only got 10 years out of my career or, you know, I played three games and then I, I broke down and couldn't continue on. And I still had that love and passion of playing and I couldn't reach the levels that I wanted to do. I, I think I'd still, I'd still be hurting in, inside and I'd yeah. still have regrets. Um, there's obviously a lot of things, mate, that you could do differently. You know, there's a lot of things that you would have done differently off the field. There's a lot of things you would have done differently on the field. But nothing that I regret. There's things that you'd certainly change and you'd be better at. Um, but in terms of looking back and regretting, I, I don't think I've got anything, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, you know, you could have looked after yourself a lot better. You, you know, you could have done a lot of things. But at the end of the day, that was the era that I grew up in. Um, and it's a completely different era to today's environment. Um, you know, we could go out and have a beer. You could go out to nightclubs. You could go out uh, and celebrate after games. Yep. These days, it's all about, you know, um, you know, making sure you get fluids back into your body, jumping in ice bars, making, you know, getting your recovery sorted, making sure that, um, you know, you're right to play the following week, um, you know, alcohol bans, all this type of stuff. So... Yeah, we, we had a fun time in the era that I grew up in in the 90s and, you know, the Tina Turner ad was going and um, Winfield Cup, it was it was very special. I reckon if it wasn't for the dicky knees, you'd still be running rings around them and doing it with a smile on your face. As good as I have seen, Laurie Daly, you, sir, are a legend. A new episode of the Legend series drops every Tuesday and the weekly Wodge every Thursday. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening and follow us on social media at The Andy Raymond. Then you won't miss a thing. Come back soon. Legends.